You will no doubt recognize the words we just heard in the gospel as words from Jesus' Last Supper with his disciples. I give you a new commandment that you should love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. Love one another as I have loved you. Well, how has Jesus loved us? By befriending and eating with outsiders and sinners, tax collectors, collaborators, and prostitutes, the poor, the sick, the disabled, the unclean, the impure, and the unloved. That's how Jesus showed love. By stretching the boundaries of his own love, by stretching the boundaries of inclusion, who qualifies to be included in this covenant of grace and love? He showed us his love by his own self-sacrificial life and death. Jesus loved all of us by setting an example of love that his disciples then took out into the world and began to put to work. We heard an important story from the book of Acts in our first reading about what it was like for Peter in those early years of spreading that love. He was in the coastal city of Joppa on one of his journeys when one night he had a dream. In this dream, he saw a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners. And in that big sheet were all kinds of four-footed animals, winged birds, reptiles. And a voice told him to take and eat. Now Peter was shocked because... Where am I? Lost my place. He was shocked because in that sheet there were all kinds of animals that were forbidden for people like him to eat. Devout Jews who observed the Levitical code. This met none of the kosher requirements. Peter told this story to his fellow Christians in Jerusalem who were themselves shocked that he had been associating with Gentiles and actually eating with them. He told them about this dream as a way of explaining what he was beginning to realize, that the boundaries were shifting and that God was widening the circle of inclusion beyond the Jews to the Gentiles, a circle of inclusion that would extend to the whole human race. The, ideal, the idea of including Gentiles without them first undergoing rites of conversion to Judaism and living according to the Mosaic Law was a huge, big struggle within the early church. It was a huge thing that involved people changing their mindset, rethinking their prejudices, and letting go of closely held markers of their identity and their place in the world. For first century Jewish Christians, the idea of allowing Gentiles in was the defining challenge of their time. But in each time and place, we human beings seem to erect our own versions of this same phenomenon. We set up barriers between different groups of people based on all kinds of differences. And the challenge of expanding the circle of inclusion is always before us. And it always involves us learning to stretch ourselves, go outside of our comfort zones, associate with people who are not like us, and learn to see not only their humanity, but their dignity as people who are made in the image of God. 
This past week, I took part in a celebration of love that was part of that stretching the boundaries of inclusion. It's a story that is an important part of my own story of my own ordained ministry, going back even before I was ordained. And I'd like to share a bit of it with you today on what is the day before my 30th anniversary of ordination as a priest. I was invited to participate this past Wednesday in the Founders' Day celebration of the Esperanza Academy in Lawrence, Massachusetts. I was one of Esperanza's founders, and here's part of that story, which I don't think I've told here before, although some of you as individuals have certainly heard me mention it. The city of Lawrence is the poorest city in Massachusetts. It was founded in 1845 as an industrial zone along the Merrimack River where the river was being harnessed to power machines in the woolen mills that were part of a whole new era of industrialization and mass production. From its beginning, Lawrence was a city of immigrants. First young women from England and Scotland who came to work in the mills with many successive waves of immigrants from Ireland, Germany, Lithuania, Italy, Greece, and dozens of other countries. The churches in the city of Lawrence are a parable of the successive waves of immigration that came into Lawrence from all over the world. Around the turn of the 20th century, it was one of the most cosmopolitan cities in the U.S., second only to New York City. You could walk down its main street, and you could hear 57 different languages being spoken around the year 1900. Today, most of its residents come from the Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, and Central America, and over half of its residents speak Spanish at home. Now, right next door to Lawrence is the town of Andover. Andover is old New England, with its first European settlers arriving in around 1630, or that's when the town was incorporated. It's the home to Phillips Academy, where several U.S. presidents went to prep school. At the time of the 19th century Industrial Revolution, Andover was where the factory owners and managers lived, while the workers lived in crowded ghettos in Lawrence. Two towns intimately linked by geography and a common border could not be more different. At one time, it was, uh, I read a study that said there was a larger socioeconomic disparity between these two towns than any other two contiguous municipalities in the United States. And there's an invisible wall between them that separates people based on wealth and the opportunities that wealth affords. These two towns are where a big part of my ministry has taken place. Now, my very first experience working in Lawrence came a few years before I was ordained when I was, uh, had a job running federally and state-funded job training programs for immigrants in the city of Lawrence. And for two summers, I also ran summer career awareness programs for teenagers in the city. It was a great opportunity for them to gain exposure to the world of work, to visit computer companies and hospitals, offices, to meet engineers, lawyers, medical professionals, and perhaps someday think about doing those kinds of jobs and learning what they would do to make that happen in the meantime. One of the saddest days of those two summers was the day when we were taking attendance in the morning, and I noticed that, I'll call her Maria, 
was not there that day. And I asked one of her friends if she knew where Maria was. She was very quiet for a minute, but then she told me that Maria's parents wouldn't let her come back to the program. Maria was 14 and she was pregnant. Now I was not able to convince her parents to allow Maria to continue. And I've always wondered what happened to her. I never saw her again, but I have thought about her many, many times over the years, knowing how much harder it must have been for her to achieve her dreams. But her story stayed with me and influenced things that would come. Just a few years later, uh, after that experience, I had my first church job as a newly ordained transitional deacon at Grace Church in Lawrence, right downtown. It was there that I was ordained to the priesthood 30 years ago tomorrow. And while at Grace, I spent much of my part-time and unpaid commitment there working with young people in addition to other pastoral and liturgical responsibilities. After about two years there, I left to become the rector of a suburban parish in another part of the diocese. But 12 years later, I was called back to the area to serve as the rector of Christ Church in Andover. I had only been there a matter of days or weeks when I was invited, I got a phone call inviting me to come for a visit in Lawrence to the newly opened Bellasini Academy. It was a Roman Catholic school for inner city boys in grades five through eight. It was based on a Jesuit-inspired model called the Nativity Model for schools for urban youth with long school days, long school years, rigorous academic preparation, and serious standards for success, uh, achieving success at the high school level and beyond. I was inspired by this visit and what I saw, but there was one problem. There were no girls there. And I thought to myself, if the Roman Catholics can do it for the boys, then we, and, then we Episcopalians should do it for the girls. About that time, new rector of Christ Church in Andover, we were having a lot of conversations in the parish about what we could do, how we should be focusing our attention, uh, where our priorities ought to be, discerning where God might be calling us and what God might be wanting us to do, especially in the desire we stated as a community to build better connections with our neighbors in Lawrence. In that process, we discovered that one of the things that people in our parish cared about just about more than anything else was education. We had a lot of educators. Many people moved to Andover for the quality of the schools, both public and private. Some sent their children to places like Phillips Academy or other elite prep schools. But did we want quality education for our neighbors as much as we wanted it for ourselves? and our own children? That was a serious question. At the same time, right next door in Lawrence, there was a decertified public high school two miles from us where kids were graduating without a valid high school diploma. Lawrence's children needed better preparation for success in high school and beyond. Now, we couldn't solve all those problems, and certainly not for every child. but. We felt we wanted to do something. What might it be? So we decided to call up our friends at Grace Church and hold a joint 
meeting of our two vestries to see if there was something we could begin to work on together. And we very quickly settled on looking at some kind of a project dealing with education without being much more specific about it than that. After about six months of doing a needs assessment in the city, <clears throat> talking to all kinds of people, parents, educators, public officials, business people in Lawrence, both churches agreed that we should proceed with establishing a free tuition Episcopal middle school for girls in grades five through eight based on the nativity model with long school days, long school year, small class sizes, and an enriched curriculum that would prepare girls for success in high school and beyond. Now to make a very long story short, we began the work of establishing a school by drawing together the talents and resources of our two parishes and very much so in the wider community. And in the process, we began to break down some of the historic barriers between these two communities. It was not uncommon for people in Andover to never have even crossed the line into Lawrence before because of often unfounded fears and prejudices. But we succeeded in breaking some of those barriers down. The school provided a way for people to come together, to work together, to get to know one another, and provide a means to make a difference in the world together. Today, these two communities take a great deal of pride in a school that has literally changed hundreds of lives since it first opened its doors in 2006. In a city where the high school graduation rate for girls was 41% at the time we opened Esperanza, 100% of the girls who have graduated from the eighth grade at Esperanza now have gone on to graduate also from high school, some from the local public high school and many from highly competitive, independent, and parochial schools. And over 80% of them have gone on to higher education. Some of the school's first graduates have now begun graduating from college, and one is even now on the staff of Esperanza in its graduate support program. Now, I tell this story today, first of all, because it's been on my mind and in my heart, having just returned from a Founders Day celebration, but also because it is a story of the challenge that Jesus' followers have always faced from one generation to the next, of reaching across boundaries, overcoming divisions of human making, and working together toward an ever-increasingly wider circle of inclusion of knowing the other as neighbor and friend. As we here at Trinity face into a new era of mission in the coming years, these will be real questions for us. Who are the Jews and Gentiles of our own time? Who is in and who is out? What barriers is God calling us to break down? How do we continue to reach out and across the dividing lines that separate us? May we, like Peter, have our minds and our hearts opened to the new, and may we always be guided by Jesus' own words, I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Amen.